Beatles. Yeah, I never really, I was never a fan of those guys. They're too, too flashy. They had the peas in there and the carrots already. Yeah. How many of you ate way too much ramen? That freshman 15. I know what I'm talking about. It's like the ramen 13, ramen 15. Most of my adult life, most of my life as, as, a, as a kid and adult, that was all ramen was. It's a hard packet of noodles. Boy, don't even need a stove, right? Get a little like water heater, pour it in a cup. Sometimes uh, at the dorm, I would, if I didn't, I remember the freshman year, I didn't have any way to heat the water. And it was like one, late, late, really night, late. It was a one very late night. That was kind of how I was feeling. And I went to the bathroom, and I knew, like, the hot water. The water got pretty hot, <laughs> and I just turned it on. <laughs> it wasn't really that great, but it was, like, good enough. Ramen's, like, the good enough food. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I just need something. I need carbs in my body so I wake up feeling okay. Any of you had a college experience, just read between the lines. It's okay. We're all Christians here, right? Let's just be honest. It's just, just I, need, I need it. I need it now. Or tomorrow will be awful. <laughs> Ramen. Culinary, like, bits. Like, again, a cup of noodles is too much. So I had an experience where uh, Jason Lee is our creative director, often plays music with us. Jason, Jason Lee Lee, for those of you who follow him on Facebook. I had this moment where somehow we got talking about ramen. Jason looked at me and said, have you ever had ramen? I said, yeah. Why are we talking about ramen? <laughs> and he goes, no, 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 have you ever had ramen? I said, why are you talking in that voice? <laughs> it's the Jason prayer voice. <laughs> Anyone have a prayer voice? It's like you could be talking about anything. Like if you talked in the real world with that voice, it'd be so creepy. Ramen. <laughs> anyway, it's like, dude, ramen. So we go, and he had been doing some like design work for Ken's Ramen, which is a ramen shop. I believe it's the only like exclusively ramen shop in Providence. And uh, we go there, and there's uh, skateboards on the wall that have a picture of Jesus covered in gold. That was a thing. And then Fred Flintstone is in the back, his black glasses on. It's the biggest, the only artwork besides the skateboards. And they're playing Jay-Z's blueprint. Very loud. And I walk into this foreign land of Fred Flintstone, Jesus Christ skateboards on the wall, Jay-Z blasting. And I notice just pots and pots and pots and pots in this open kitchen area. They have these giant, long, yellow noodles. And I go, that can't be it, can it? Jason looks at me and he goes, oh, yes. <laughs> so we sit down. He begins to order for me. Here's what you need. You need this. Vegetarianism wasn't a thing at that exact moment. <laughs> I had pause on that. They brought over these two bowls. He said, you got to have an egg. Brought the egg over. Explained to me the time in which to drop the egg in. How to break it up. What else to put in it. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Am 
I preaching yet? Swirl it around. And then, then it happened. I tried to grab noodles with chopsticks and they fell right through. No. So I did the little chopstick spoon thing. And, oh. I thought I knew what ramen was. I had a very strong vision, like many of you, of what ramen was. It was built in a level of reality. This is just the fullness of what ramen could be. And yet, I had missed out what ramen had really come to do and teach us about the way of the noodle. <laughs> Am I stretching this yet? <laughs> Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, traditionally known as the triumphal entry. This is the week before Jesus' crucifixion. And so we get this interesting, fascinating story with all of this history. Last year, um, we kind of took the whole sermon and just talked about the history of what happened, what was going on. There's so much happening in this story. It's right at the beginning of one of the accounts in Matthew 27, we hear about the chief priests wanting to kill Jesus. Why? Why would someone want to kill someone like Jesus? What was his message? What does the ruling establishment decide? Why do they decide this man must die? We have all these characters, Pilate. We have Jesus making this long journey his whole life to the place called Jerusalem. And so I want to give a really very, very quick overview before I just invite us to consider a few things about Palm Sunday, Jesus, and ramen. <laughs> so the Jewish people, this is the context. Jesus is a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi. They've been under foreign occupation and oppression for centuries. Since 586 BC, there have been all of these empires, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, it goes on. And then there have been all these people who have looked to push back. There is the Zealots, the Herodians, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, different sects within the religious, within the Jewish people who had different views on why these people, Jesus' people, God's called out people who are supposed to be a blessing to the world, were in the position they were in. They were ruled at this point by the Roman Empire. Uh, there was a phrase that would go around, Caesar is Lord, Caesar is Lord. There was, uh, again, a long history here, but basically the Caesars had moved from just the ruling powers to then there became this, like, divination process. So it was, like, exalted above. You're not just a great leader or a king or a great um, military uh, operator, <laughs> military, you know, chief. You uh, were now, like, a god there was this divination that slowly started to leak in where you would, um, these Caesars began to refer to themselves as more than just people. So when you conquer the whole world, how do you rule countries from incredible distances that might take two or three weeks to travel by horse? This, we're talking England to India. And so the one way that this would happen, the chief way, the way in which Rome with their now godlike emperors would rule places like Israel would be through communicating through coins. So, uh, Caesar Augustus died um, just before he was the one who consolidated the empire and it led to Caesar Tiberius, who was ruling at the time of Jesus. The coin of Tiberius, I believe we have a picture of it up here, had the image and inscription of Tiberius. When you conquer a land, you would demand a tax or tribute to raise money. So when they would conquer a land, a new, empire, a new emperor would send out a coin. This would be circulated. 
uh, and then you would begin to raise tribute. Caesar says he's God, and if I pay the tax, right, there's all these questions for the Jewish people. Am I acknowledging Caesar as God? It makes sense of so many stories where Jesus uh, is confronted with questions even about money and coins. Now, Tiberius has an issue because he can't be everywhere at once. You tracking with me? Tiberius rules the land. He can't be everywhere at once, so he appoints someone specifically over this region, the region of Judea, uh, and he... It, he uh, puts a man named Pilate as the governor in the land. Um, he governed this region. Uh, his job basically entailed living in Israel, uh, trying to maintain order. So if you are Pilate, you naturally want to do a good job, so Rome acknowledges you, so you want to make sure order is maintained. The problem was that Pilate actually did not live in Jerusalem. He lived in Caesarea, which is a little ways away from Jerusalem. Now, he had a problem. In Luke 22, verse 1, this is part of the beginning of the context of the story of Palm Sunday. We, it says, Now the festival unleavened bread, which is called the Passover, was near. The chief priests and the scribes were looking for a way to put Jesus to death. Now, the festival of unleavened bread, the Passover, uh, this is a little background for those of you not familiar with the scriptures. This is the festival that these Jewish people that are under Roman occupation by Tiberius are about to do. Exodus 3, 7, then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing of milk and honey. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. Seen how the Egyptians oppressed them, so come, I will send you to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. The Jewish people at a time in, uh, at an earlier time in history were living under the impression of a massive military superpower and God heard the cry of the oppressed. So there would be, some scholars speculate, and this is a low number of the speculation, 200,000 Jews would gather to celebrate at the temple every year at this time. And the, the celebration was, thank you God for delivering us from the superpower. So someone like Tiberius, through Pilate, the person assigned to make sure that this area that had been conquered by Rome was going to be an area that was peaceful and did not revolt, Pilate is not excited about Passover. You get this? 200,000 Jews are coming together and they're going to then... Uh, celebrate the fact that their God, not Caesar, has liberated them in the past from slavery. Your job as Pilate is to keep these people well-behaved. So once a year, Pilate would leave Caesarea and march into Jerusalem, sending a message that says, do not mess with Rome. Do not mess with Rome. Here's what this would look like from what we know um, from just artifacts we found in a lot of accounts that we found of this. It would begin with the Roman eagle saying the Roman Empire is coming. <clears throat> then came standard bearers with flags of all the Caesars and their divine titles, listing all the battles they won. Then came centurions, cavalrymen, first the soldiers that would be marching with metal shields uh, that would be doing the rhythmic clanking. It's exactly how you think it would be. At least that's what they assumed, the, the stomp and hit. 
then soldiers mounted on horses, uh, and then there'd be armed chariots. This was uh, the equivalent of like the M1 tank of their day. And at some point, Pontius Pilate himself would go by with adoring crowds yelling, hail to Pilate, hail to Caesar. It was a show of force that was sending a particular message, which was this. And this is actually quoted from uh, the history books, which is, uh, resistance is futile. Before it was a Star Trek term, it was a Roman term. Resistance is futile. That was for all you Trekkies out there. I don't just have sports references. Renaissance, man, just kidding. And so when there would be any kind of upheaval in the Roman Empire, the cross was punishment. Everything is about power and strength and dominion. Everything. And at this time, the people in Judea are being taxed. They assume about 80 to 90%. The Roman army is marching through your village saying, don't even think about revolt. Because you got to understand, as we'll get to when we get to the palms in a minute, the Jews had tried to revolt again, or before. So the same week, the week of Passover, that Pilate and his army are coming into the city from the west. They're entering the city from the west. Something else is happening from the east. Luke 19, if you want to follow along. Soon after Pilate entered from the west, Jesus directs them to get a donkey. Luke 19 then describes another event which happened that same week. Jesus goes to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. And we read this, blessed is the king. What is a word you don't want to be using and shouting about now? Blessed is the king. A large crowd of people shouting about another king is not a good thing. Jesus went ahead, going up to Jerusalem as he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives. That's how we know where he's coming from. He sent two of his disciples saying, go to the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks why you are untying it, say the Lord needs it, which is a great way to go about getting stuff. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. Apparently that was enough. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their coats on the road. When he came near to the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Jesus' whole career has led up to this moment. Over and over and over in the Gospels. Where are you going? Jerusalem. I can't get distracted. Where are you going? Jerusalem. 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 Everything in Jesus' ministry knows it's going to end in Jerusalem. The holiest place. The place where the religious system is. The place where renewal is going to happen. The place where every prophecy has come out of. I mean, to this day, what's probably the, like, the hot spot of religious violence in our world? Where to be? I would say Jerusalem is probably the spot. The most volatile spot. Amazing (laughs) how some things don't change. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. This is what they're shouting. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. We'll get back to this text in a moment. Pilate enters from the west and they're shouting, blessed is the king. And these religious leaders are rebuking them, telling them to keep quiet. Why are they telling him to keep quiet? 
If this is just a small group of people, the Pharisees are like, who is this like silly rabbi who thinks he's like way too big for his britches, he's coming in. Why are they so concerned? When you read the scriptures, just begin to train yourself to ask lots of questions. Because a detail like that isn't random. Why are they so nervous? Well, it's because the crowds thought they were welcoming a king who would overthrow the Roman Empire. And you got a bunch of jacked up, apparently, zealots who were like, Jesus is going to do it. And confirming from the other side of the city, you got Pilate coming in with tanks and aircraft carriers of their day. Last bit of context. Everyone receive a palm branch when they came in today? Anyone make it into a cross yet? (laughs) Never learned how to do that. Grew up in church, still no idea. When Jesus rode into town on a donkey, the people waved palm branches, it says in one of the accounts in John, kind of like you have. There's a story behind this. Ever since the time of exile, somebody has always been in power over the Jews. And in all that time, there had only been one successful revolution led by a man named Judas the Maccabean. When Judas Maccabeus processed, um, uh, sorry, went back into the Jerusalem, the crowd celebrated him by waving palm branches. It was the sign for the Jews of revolution. The only time they'd ever made a dent in their oppressors, it was Alexander the Great. The palm branches became a symbol of revolution. A symbol of revolution, and this is what they're waving. Palm branches shouting words like king, and the religious leaders are like, shut your mouth. Do you have any idea what to do? Stop it. And you're looking at apparently your savior is going to overthrow the Roman Empire, who's going to do away with all of this injustice and oppression, and he's riding in on a donkey. In Matthew, it has him saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. He doesn't walk. He does something else. Now, how he enters the city is everything. Jesus rides in to say, I'm the one who's coming. Now, there's this concept, and we talked about this last year, but I want to remind you of it. Uh, This uh, way of reading scripture and uh, there's this word remez, R-E-M-E-Z. Can you say remez? So you would quote the first part. This happens throughout the New Testament. You quote the first part of the verse knowing that you would know the rest of it. Right? It'd be like a primer. Like you give the first three uh, lines of a particular passage from the Old Testament. And everyone would know the whole bit. Jesus does this at the end of his life. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He's, he's referencing a psalm a larger psalm with all sorts of other fascinating things. You go back and read that psalm of how that informs the cross. So the second part of what they're saying, they would have continued to quote, and what they're quoting is the passage Zechariah Zachariah 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. Not even, by the way, he doesn't just go with a donkey. Definitely doesn't choose horse, doesn't have a sword, isn't carrying the proverbial cultural machine gun. He isn't with like ready to go. He chooses the donkey. Nay, not, <laughs> not just a donkey, a colt. Like could go with a regular donkey. Now let's downgrade this thing. 
I will, and then it goes on. This is how the passage ends. So I just quoted what you read in your Bibles around the Palm Sunday account. This is where it keeps going right after this, the passage he's quoting. I will take away the chariots of Ephraim, the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. The passage they're quoting is fairly epic. A chariot is a symbol of war. Ephraim was a symbol of the Jews. He takes away the weapons of war from the Jews and declares peace to the nations. Jesus enters from the east. He doesn't enter on a horse, but on a donkey. Because Zechariah said some things about a future king that he will come. He is opposed to war. He will take away the weapons of war and will extend peace. Pilate enters from the west armed with all the trappings of war from the east on a donkey. And we have to begin to wonder then, what is Jesus doing? What are the options? How do we consider reading this story? And so I, I want to I then invite us to remember something fascinating about the person of Jesus. He is at, the, at one time like both so confounding and so compelling at the same time. Because you remember, Jesus is making this what seems like this revolutionary move that a handful of his disciples are going to be really excited about. People are waving palms, Hosanna, Hosanna. They're quoting Zechariah. They are fired up. Finally, things are going to change. They're doing this because they've been so captured. Jesus caring for the most broken, the most hurting, come alongside people and healing them. Right? Why to this day I have met very few, if any people that I can think of, who aren't fascinated by at least the person of Jesus. If he's not a reflection of like God himself, he's definitely a reflection of how like beautiful our humanity could be. At the very least... People are like, well, I, I mean, it's not God. Let's be serious. That's too far out. But man, if more people were like him, at least. I mean, imagine that. He's compelling. And yet over and over, he also then confounds us. They were celebrating. They were celebrating the Jesus that they wanted to be there. These followers and these people who end up rallying, we don't know how many there were, but who are cheering for Jesus, they are projecting onto Jesus something that he has actually worked incredibly hard when we go back through the accounts of Jesus that he is trying to undo. They're projecting onto Jesus who they want him to be. They're redefining him. They're saying, You're going to be this. I know you're going to be this kind of guy. I know. I know. I picked the right team because I know what you're going to do. And then they are gravely disappointed. Gravely disappointed when Jesus finds himself up on a cross at his death. It is in human nature to project onto other people what we want for ourselves. That's what we do. And we think we have something like kind of squared away. We know what that person's like. We know what that thing is like. We know what this concept is like. And this gets dangerous when we read the scriptures. Because we often come to the scriptures with a story like this. Right? We come to a Palm Sunday account and we go, 
oh man, those religious people just didn't get it. Those Jesus followers, they just didn't get it. We would have totally got that he was a person of peace. We wouldn't have wanted him to violently overthrow the Roman Empire. Like we immediately assume that. If you read on, I'm not gonna read the text, but if you read on all of the accounts following him coming in, the Palm Sunday account, he enters in the city. Here's a couple things that he does. He goes into the temple, which is supposed to be the place of worship, which has now become the center of commerce. The Jewish faith has been co-opted by nationalism and idolatry. Do you know what Jesus does? He fashions a whip and goes to town on the temple. The, the, the Jesus that we're told comes into the city gentle, riding on a donkey. He comes and is confronted with the things of God being corrupted and co-opted by all of the things that they never were supposed to do. The marketplace had made its way. Roman idolatry had made its way into the temple. And Jesus goes, enough, enough. One of the other accounts is he curses a fig tree, which seems so random. Of all the things he could do, he just comes in the city. He's like, eh, fig tree, I don't like it. <laughs> right? The fig tree was a symbol of Israel. If you, look, if you don't believe me, look it up. Like one of the, my voice went really high. That was the symbol of Israel. The account goes, he looks over at it, he's like, it's bearing no fruit. It's bearing no fruit. And they're shocked by it. How'd you do that? I don't think it was the miracle that wowed them. I think it was like the, it was like the, it was the equivalent of burning the flag. Many scholars have pointed that out. That's not Andrew's commentary. Many scholars have pointed out this is basically the equivalent of Jesus burning the flag. You've missed it. And the whole idea that they've been co-opted by a Roman people, we talked about this when we did the politics of Jesus um, messages. Right, we talked about this. The Jews were never supposed to have a king. God relents and gives them a king. They continue to want to be ruled over somebody, which I think is true today. We don't say it in the same way. But when we elect presidents, when I see somebody like waving the signs with the campaign slogans, it's like, they're going to save us. If only it had been Bernie. We've talked a lot about like the Obama thing, like what happened in 2008. It was this like, I knew like the most staunch conservative Republican friends of mine who were like, this is powerful, man. He's gonna do something. He's gonna do something, right? Like we heap all, this isn't a commentary on who was great and who was bad and who was in between. I just mean we heap still so much expectation on they'll lead us. They'll take care of it. We need a king. We don't say it in those ways anymore, but this, this has been the story of Israel from the beginning. And Jesus charges into Jerusalem, ready to see revival happen. And all of these people who are supposed to recognize Jesus don't. Well, they recognize him, right? They're compelled by him, but they've got the wrong Jesus. They have projected onto Jesus what he is supposed to be about, what his revolution is like, what the kingdom is supposed to look like and what it looks like to see the way of God go forward in the world. He says, I came to serve. I came for the lost and the broken. I came with grace. And let me show you what the whole thing has been about. He dies on the cross for his enemies. He dies for on the cross for his friends. 
We want a king. We want a king to establish our kingdom. And then we get disenchanted when kings live for their own kingdom. When we were supposed to be people governed and guided by something more. That's why followers of Jesus throughout history have never pledged allegiance to anything other than God. That's not meant to be some anti-patriotic statement. It's simply that's not where our allegiance is. It's never been. And when it gets co-opted, and I don't just mean like governmental political stuff, when it gets co-opted by the way the world operates. And when I say the world, I don't just mean like our friends. I mean the systems and ways we think about our lifestyle and how we give and how we love and how we serve and how we bless. And the lens in which we see the world is one of laying down our life. Laying down our life. That's the kind of power. That's the kind of kingdom. That's how he comes. The story of Jesus entering Jerusalem. The story of Palm Sunday is an object lesson. An object lesson in the mismatch between our expectations and God's answer. I'm sorry, I messed that up. Between our expectations and God's answer. We have these expectations of how God's supposed to come, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And God confounds our expectations. Palm Sunday is about missing the way of God when he's right in front of you. Jesus cries out over the city. What does he say? Jerusalem, Jerusalem. If only you had known the things that would bring you peace. You've missed it. You thought that would bring you peace. You've missed the call to be a blessing in the world governed by God the Father, walking in his way. You've missed it. There's this great passage of like, look, if no one else gets what's happening, what does Jesus say? What will cry out? The rocks will cry out. First mention of rock music in the Bible, by the way. Dad joke. Um, The rocks will cry out. Like if no one else gets this, trust me, it's real. I'm betting on these rocks, like, opening their non-existent mouths and going, pay attention. Pay attention. He's using this over-the-top language to say you're missing it. He cries over the city if you'd only known the things that would bring you peace. You're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Jesus, save us. But you think I'm going to save you in a way and from something that is not what I'm doing. I am here to lay down my life for my people. I am here to sacrifice all that I am for those around me. I am here to forgive the sins of the world and extend the renewing work of the work that God has been doing from the very beginning. Can I get an amen? That's our call in every action, in every diaper change, and in every like, like time spent in the cubicle and in designing every flyer and in, in every surgery and in every like, moment of serving a cup of coffee to someone over the counter, we have a higher allegiance and a higher call that supersedes, that includes all of that, but supersedes that. Palm Sunday, man, is about missing the way of God when it's right in front of you. Jesus' right gets really harsh at the end. It gets really harsh. He's like, there are consequences for missing, for missing it. There are like legit consequences for not paying attention. 
If you even knew, if even you had known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground. I mean, it goes on. He gets, he gets like, you're setting yourself up for disaster. There are actual physical consequences for not following and walking in the way of God that even reach like the, the political systemic stratosphere. If only, like these things are hidden from your eyes. If only you had seen only you had seen our temptation is to always go that's not me it's not me I'm not one who misses it I don't miss I don't miss it I'm not the Pharisees I'm not the crowd who gets it wrong and so we just I mean just to bring it like really back home for a minute my hope in this message is just simply that like you'd feel a little bit more fired up like to die to yourself for others. A little more fired up to see the way of Jesus. Like which way are you gonna enter the city? You're gonna enter from the east, you're gonna enter from the west. How are you gonna enter into the situation? I think we talked about this a little bit last year. How are you, how are you gonna enter in to the relationship? How are you gonna enter into that conflict? How are you gonna enter into that figuring out what you're gonna do with your life thing? How, which way are you coming in? Who's king? And have you made Jesus into an image where you projected your thoughts on what Jesus is supposed to do? He's supposed to just get me the perfect job. We've projected an image of Jesus and then we're disappointed when he doesn't come through. Well, it's because we're not talking to Jesus. We're talking like to an echo chamber of ourselves, Right, come on. Why do this? We wanna be people who see. Where do I need to invite God to say, God, I, 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 I want to know I wanna know what it means to walk in from the east. I wanna know what it means to ride the donkey here. I wanna isolate areas. I was talking to a friend of mine. I was talking about, um, uh, he's, he's going to a personal trainer right now. And he was talking about how uh, the trainer's been isolating different areas like of his body to work on. Like if you eat this at this time, if you work out in this particular way, if you eat this at this time of day, this will help like isolate where you have areas of, that you wanna like tone better. That's kind of what I'm inviting us to do. Like start isolating areas in your heart. Where, where, where have I trusted the, the way of Caesar and not the way of Jesus? Where have I trusted the way? This is just the way the world operates. Get power, more. Your identity is rooted in all these things other than you are loved and rescued by the God of the universe. You choose strength over weakness. You choose power and control over surrender. What areas in your life you'll kind of go down the ledger of your life? I need, to, I need to surrender this and stop trying to control it. I need to let this person go. And for some of us, the political implications are real. We pour all of our energy and sweat into putting our trust in a candidate or a nation or simply a way of seeing things and we need to check ourselves on how the world changes according to Jesus. We're going to end today with this song. We're just going to sing it through a couple times. And so if you want to sit, if you want to kneel, if you want to stand, the words of this song could not be more appropriate. Heal my heart and make it clean. 
open up my eyes to the things unseen. Like the bridge of this song is like, I wanna see. Open up my eyes to what's real. Heal my heart. Like there's places in my heart I have not surrendered to Jesus, to the kingship of Jesus, not made him center over all. I've not trusted the way of the cross. I've chosen the way of the chariot. Heal my heart and make it clean. Open up my eyes to the things unseen. Show me how to love like you have loved me. In the verses, it talks about, I, I, uh, I see a near revival. I see the king of glory. This song has all this imagery, right? Correcting, correcting the cries of Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, right? They had a, they had a vision of what that was supposed to be. They thought when they were singing, save us, save us, save us, they had projected onto Jesus. Not the way of the cross, not the way of sacrificial love. They had projected something else. And so this song is meant to like reorient our vision. No, no, I see Jesus. I know what you're like, to love like you have loved me. And so then when we sing Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, may we church sing it from a place of going, God, will you save us from our sins? Will you save us from cloudy vision? Will you save us, Lord, from making other things Lord over our hearts? Will you save us from putting our trust in how others see us? Will you save us from the crippling anxiety of comparison? Will you save us from the crippling power, the crippling power of power? into the Easter week as we head towards the resurrection and all that there is to grieve and celebrate. We are asking God for fresh vision. We're asking God to come alongside for the Holy Spirit to be our personal trainer. Be like, hey, 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 hey. Some areas where you are entering in from the west and not the east. We think we know. We're pretty sure we know. Then when we encounter the real thing, we actually open the pages of scripture and surrender our life to Jesus, we begin to discover the real thing. Amen? None of this college ramen business. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God. I pray as we sing. I know some folks are just gonna wanna sing and declare Hosanna in the highest. I know others just need to go down on one knee and begin to just just confess, just to name the places in their heart where your sacrificial love is not reigning. Places where they've put their trust in all the wrong things, Lord. I thank you, Lord. I praise you that however we come to you right now in this moment, that you are faithful to hear, Lord, to hear our prayer of Hosanna, Lord, save us, save me. Hosanna, Lord, save me. The Savior of all that you, Lord, save, love, forgive, rescue, renew, and set us on a course of life every time, every time. 
And so for my brothers and sisters who need to be encouraged by the grace of God, by the saving grace of God, by knowing that our God identifies with you in your hurt, who identifies with you in your brokenness, in your poverty, in your pain, in your ache, know that you have a God who comes for you. And for my brothers and sisters feeling like, man, I feel more like the, the Pharisees. I feel more like the people worshiping God for all the wrong reasons. I thank you that even, Lord, in your rebuke, Lord, you set us, when we repent and believe in your way, you set us on a new path. And so we sing, heal my heart. 